in the church. How many of y'all used to hear messages preached on it? Right? You don't hear much on it now anymore. How many of you used to hear maybe mom and dad or grandma or grandpa when they left a church meeting or a revival meeting and they might say phrases like, I'll see you here, there, or in the air. Anybody ever heard that one? Yep. It's few and far between anymore, but there used to be not so long ago an anticipation for the coming of the Lord. And now so much, you and I are living in a day and an age in the church, not just in the world, but in the church, like Second Peter tells us in chapter 3, that there's going to be coming a time of scoffers and those who will say, oh, well, you know, everything's been this way. People have always been saying that the end is near, but you know, I, we'll just keep on living life. This world will just keep on spinning. We're living in that world, not just around us, but inside the church today, where now the vast majority of those who claim to be a Christian do not believe in the rapture, the calling away of the church. They do not believe in a literal interpretation of the tribulation period, a literal seven years of judgment upon the world. They do not believe in the restoration of Israel when they shall be born again in a day. They don't believe in the, even the, the, the coming fully. They, they think many of them think that it's just an allegory or that we will usher in the kingdom ourselves by getting the whole world saved. I want you to know, the world is not going to get better, and the Bible doesn't teach that it's going to get better. Not until after Christ comes, after the rapture. He is going to call His bride home to be with Him, and so shall we ever be, right? And this doctrine used to be a comfort for the church. It used to be a comfort for believers, as we see here in this passage. Let's read verse 13 to 18 today. Probably the last time that you heard this passage, sadly, was at a funeral. I use this passage every time at a graveside because this is our blessed hope. Now the rapture of the church as though it's denied today for thousands of years. Since the early church, it's been called different things. We've had it being called the rapture, but it used to be called much, I don't know if you've heard of these phrases before, but um, the, the doctrine of, or the prophecy of Enoch, or Enoch, right? used to be called maybe the, the doctrine of the translation of the saints or of the church. And so that's what we're going to be looking at here today. This is our blessed hope. We must not lose sight of it. But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep. We'll get into that. That means dead. That ye sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with Him. There's the beautiful message of the gospel there is no hope outside of the gospel message there is no hope matter of fact first corinthians 15 tells us this if jesus has not raised from the dead our faith is in vain our preaching is in vain and there would be no resurrection of the dead now he says in verse 15 for this we say unto you by the word of the lord this is not paul's made up doctrine this is not the early church's made up doctrine this is not some, as is accused today, some confangled doctrine that the dispensationalists made up with Darby back in the 1800s and then popularized with C.I. Schofield. Baloney. The rapture of the church, the doctrine, the translation of the church of God has been around since the first century, since the very foundation of the church itself. They have been awaiting the coming of Christ. and We should as well. He says, For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord Himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then 
We which are alive and remain shall be called up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. Today, if you need comfort, know this, Christ is coming. If you're struggling, if you're discouraged, Christ is coming. This is not our final home. This is not our home. We are pilgrims passing through. We're not meant for this world. All right? We are going to be called out of here before that great day of judgment, that tribulation period. We're going to be free from it. Praise God. You got those who, could, who proclaim about mid and post trib, and they try to use their arguments and things. They can argue about it all day long. I'll trust the Bible. I believe it is very much promoting and, and teaching us a pre-tribulational rapture. And we'll get into that as we continue on through this study and we look at First and Second Thessalonians. And as you look throughout the Bible, it is alluded to and taught and illustrated. And, and I'm thankful because they can argue about the tribulation all you want. And you can even today, and here's what happens to many well-meaning Bible believers, is that they, they get so wrapped up between Revelation chapter 4 and 19 that they forget chapters 1, 2, and 3 in 20, 21, and 22. Now, I'm not saying that those, that middle section of Revelation don't matter, but I'm not going to be here on this earth for it. I'm not planning on that. I'm planning to be with the Lord. He's going to call us up out of here before that terrible day of tribulation. Now, in this world, we will have tribulations. And the Thessalonian church had already had such. And so Paul here is going to be reminding them of their blessed hope. Now, First of all, verses 13 to 16 today, we're going to see the resurrection of the dead in Christ. The rapture, if you will, or the, that day where Christ calls His bride out of here, there's a two-fold process that we'll get into. We have the first portion, and this all happens. We've got to understand this. You and I think of time as this long 24-hour period of day. Now, to you and I anymore, a day doesn't seem very long, does it? It tends to go faster and faster, especially as you get older. The days just go on and on. But here's how quickly all of this will take place. That's it. But faster than that. I can't snap that fast. We can't blink that fast, right? It's going to happen so rapidly, so quickly. And here's the truth. It is imminent. Now, verse 13, Paul desires to instruct the believers so they would not ignorantly grieve those who have died in Christ. Let me first of all say this. Grief is normal. It is natural. All right? However, you and I do not grieve about those who have died in Christ as those who have no hope. You and I know immediately where they are. You and I know immediately about the future, that their body shall be resurrected, glorified, so shall we then, which are alive and remain, shall be snatched up, caught up together with Him. So we have hope. We have assurance, confidence. Not just a blind faith because it's not a blind faith at all. It's a faith that is based upon the facts. This is what Christ has said and revealed to us in His Word. Therefore, we trust it. Now, spiritual confusion always brings spiritual conflict. It is not God's will that we, should, that we would be ignorant of His will for our lives or the things that He has revealed. He says, but I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren. Who's the brethren? It's the church. It's the believers. Right, we might be Baptists, but we're also brethren, ain't we? Now, we're brethren. We are called together. We are united together. Uh, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one gospel, right? Together in Christ. We are positionally with the Lord even now. 
We are together, united as one body, as one bride of Christ. And notice this. You might think today that you are not a theologian. I want you to know, if you are saved and you know the Lord Jesus Christ, you had better be a theologian. You'd better know what you believe and why you believe it. Because here's the thing, you look at every false preaching and teaching in the world today, every false religion, they know their stuff. Now their stuff is wrong, but they at least know it. Now here's what you and I, if we've got the truth, do you believe that the Bible is the truth today? Well, of course you do. If not, I don't know why you'd even be here. You could, you could be at a diner somewhere. You could have driven somewhere, somewhere to a waffle house and be having a wonderful morning. But you're here. Why? Because you believe the Word of God. This is the Word of God. Now here's the thing. You and I can study uh, and talk about what all these other people believe. Now, here's the thing. Some would call that being the most important thing for defending our faith is knowing what other people believe. That's not it. The greatest way to defend what you believe is to know what you actually believe. Sadly, the average Baptist today cannot tell you what they believe. Sadly, the average Bible believer, regardless of whether they're Baptist or not or whatever they call themselves, if they are saved, the average Christian today cannot articulate what they actually believe doctrinally. Doctrine matters, and it's not simply for the pastor or the missionary or the evangelist or the Sunday school teacher. We are all called to study who God is as He has revealed Himself to us in His Word. It is not God's will that you would be a dummy. It is not God's will that you'd be ignorant of doctrine or Scripture. We are overloaded today with tools and resources and teaching about the Word of God, much of which is not that good. You can go to average bookstore day, and it's not very good. However, we are still rich with a, 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 an immense amount of great Bible doctrine and teaching and resources out there. If you want to go one day and you're trying to find a good Christian bookstore, I'll tell you of two places. Go down to King. Go to Gullion's. they got great prices, a lot of used stuff. they got a, a vast, vast... Um, catalog of resources there everything from books to trinkets to homeschool stuff they got bibles galore they got everything right great place if you want to go somewhere different you go up here to Fincastle. go to scripture truth great little store they got a new section with great books and resources uh, and then they got a back section in their warehouse of all you stuff that's my honey hole i love both of those places right they about know me by name it, it, it's quite it's quite pitiful but here's the thing even if you don't want to read a book, you, if you're a technolo technologically, you know, you've got that stuff, you smartphone, there's still resources galore. There's no reason why we should be ignorant of the Word of God. And here's the greatest truth. Even beyond books and resources and apps and sermon audio that you can listen to sermons on and, and get reliable stuff, here's the thing. Here's the greatest thing that you got. You have the Word of God and the Spirit of God within you. Let Him teach you. Here's the thing. The reason why many of us don't know what we ought to know is not because we can't know it. It's because we won't know it. We remain unteachable. We remain to think of ourselves, well, you know, I'm, I just can't be all theological. Well, you'd better be. You'd better know your stuff. And we must recognize and receive what God has revealed. Guzik here writes, it is with some interest we note that four times in his letters, Paul asked Christians to not be ignorant about something. Don't be ignorant about God's plan for Israel. Romans 11.25. 25. 
And we shouldn't either today. The church has not replaced Israel. That is a, a fallacy today that we've got that is preached and taught in most Bible colleges and by most people that the church replaced Israel. It has not. When you look at the end times, it is centered around Christ calls His bride home, that's the church, and Israel will go through the tribulation, but they will not be destroyed eternally. In fact, the Lord is going to put His kingdom right there and restore it one day, and it will be more glorious than it ever has been. Furthermore, Paul says, don't be ignorant about spiritual gifts. 1 Corinthians 12.1 This is another hot-button issue today. There are countless false teachers and teachings about uh, spiritual gifts. How many of you have ever heard of the Enneagram? Good, keep it that way. This is a, a there is countless things out there today that are trying to match you up with all these little uh, spiritual gifts that you and I might have, but they're not using the Word of God and they're using even occult principles and things, wicked, demonic things to try to teach us about how we can serve the Lord. You want to know how to serve the Lord? Get in the Bible, be led of the Spirit of God. And be available to the Lord. Be a vessel fit for use. Third, Paul as well says, don't be ignorant about suffering and trials in the Christian life. 2 Corinthians 1.8 This, all three, well, all four of these things that Paul says in his writings that we are not be ignorant of. Think about this. He says, don't be ignorant about God's plan for Israel. Today, there is an extreme attack on Israel an extreme attack on those that support Israel, and an attack on those that believe that the church has not replaced Israel. Us, what you and I believe, it's being attacked today. Second, the uh, spiritual gifts. This is a huge hot-button topic issue today, right? We, we see it everywhere. It is so uh, out there, it, it's, it's not even funny. So many things are being put out there that are, that are wrong and false. This is why it's important. When he says, don't be angry about trials concerning the Christian life, What's the most popular teachers out there today teaching? Well, you know, God loves us so much that He doesn't want us to go through trials and suffering. He uses them. Paul went through it over and over again. God never tells us that we're not going to go through trials and tribulations. As a matter of fact, He says you're going to go through them. Expect suffering. But now here's what we do. We see somebody saved. And we send them out on their own, and we think the moment, here's what happens. You get somebody saved, they get out in the world, they see, man, this Christian life is really hard. There's a difficulty in the world. There's a, a spiritual battle taking place. And many of them fall backwards and waywards. Why? Because they expect, well, I trusted Jesus, and so now everything's supposed to be hunky-dory, peaches and cream, right? A bed of roses. And it's not. Not on this side of the grave. That's why this passage is so wonderful, because... Here in this world, we only have but so much comfort. Our comfort in this world is the comfort of the coming of the next world. That's it. Then we see here once more, don't be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep. Don't be ignorant about what is to come. We are not to be ignorant about the rapture and the second coming of Jesus Christ. Now here's what happens. And this can happen if you're not careful though. In an attempt to not be ignorant about what is to come, or what you and I would call the doctrine of uh, eschatology, that comes from the word eschaton, it is the, the last things or the end things. I've seen this happen to countless Christians. They become obsessed with eschatology that they forget the basic doctrine of theology, which is a study of who God is. They get so wrapped up in the end time stuff that that's all they focus on, and now their mind is not looking for Christ 
They're so busy looking for the Antichrist now. It gets you wrapped up in politics. It gets you wrapped up in all the things of this world. Now, I'm not saying that we should be ignorant of the things happening around the world, but even the Lord says that we are not looking for signs. It's a wicked and perverse generation that seeketh after a sign. Here's the only sign that we need about the end times. Jesus came, He died, He rose again. That's it. The sign is already there. And since the moment that Jesus ascended unto the Father in Acts chapter 1, we have been in the last days. We're not waiting for them to come. They've been here for 2,000 years. The only thing that you and I wait for now is not an antichrist or a one world government. I don't plan on being here. However, there is, as we'll see, that there is an illusion that we might know who he is uh, later in 2 Thessalonians. We'll get into that when we get there. Nevertheless, I'm not looking for these things in the world to fulfill. I'm looking and waiting and listening for the calling of the church. That's it. We've got our focus mixed up, so we must be careful. While we should never be ignorant of the end times, we must never be so wrapped up in the end times that we fail to live for Christ now. All right. Now, as we look here, remarkably, these are areas where ignorance is still common in the Christian world all throughout what we've seen so far, and especially with the end times. There's so much ignorance about these things. Now, we must not ignore hard topics or difficult doctrines. Here's what happens to many. They get to hard preaching or hard teaching or things that they don't quite understand fully, and they just go, well, I'm just not smart enough to understand it. That's no excuse whatsoever to be ignorant. That is a choice to remain ignorant. It's been said, and we've all heard it, because some of us have even said it, I've said it, that ignorance is bliss. It's not blissful to be ignorant of the coming of the Lord. As a matter of fact, it is a blessing to know and trust and hope that Christ is coming. I hope that we as a church can go backwards in time a little bit to the day where we used to leave church excited that we might leave this place and Christ might come this afternoon. Right? I I hope and pray that that should be our attitude constantly awaiting and longing for the Lord to call us out of here. Now, here's the thing, though, that many have gotten into. Many have, throughout the years, have trusted in the rapture of the church and it has led them to either spiritual lethargicness or even laziness. We go, well, you know, He's coming. Or uh, we're not going to have to go through anything bad as a nation, so... We base our eschatology, what many of us have done, is we've based our eschatology around America. Wrong. We're, we're, we're not looking at us. Are we a sign that things ain't good? Yeah, when things go bad here in America, they also go bad in the rest of the world, vice versa. But here's what we know this. The world is a mess. And the rapture of the church is not dependent upon what happens from the White House or the Senate or any of those things. It's simply imminent in the sense that any day, any hour, any time. That's it. It could be today. That should be an exciting thing. You might not have to spend money going out to eat for lunch today. Praise the Lord. Or maybe even better, you go sit down at Crooked Oak, you eat you a meal, and before you walk up to give the check in the pastor, there it is right there. You got a full belly and you're going up. It wouldn't get better than that, would it? We ought to have that sort of attitude. That we desire the 
coming of Christ, the calling away of the church. Now, the early church expected the coming of Christ to be imminent, and it is. With the delay, there became disagreements about what was to happen and discouragement about the glories to be shared. Here's what happens, right? <clears throat> Let's put it on a very personable level this morning. How many of y'all ever prayed before? Okay, alright, that's good. If you, if you haven't, try it out, it's pretty good. But how many of y'all ever prayed before and you haven't gotten an answer for quite some time? Right? Me too. Now, that's not a not answer. It is an answer. It's just not when we want it answered, right? God answers prayer. He does so in His time, in His way, His purposes for His glory. But in that waiting, now let's, let's get here, and this is the hard part. How many of y'all ever in the waiting for that answer to prayer have gotten discouraged? Anybody in the waiting ever gotten maybe a little even doubtful? I, oh yeah, it's alright. We've been there. Why? Because this flesh tends to do that to us. But nevertheless, as we look at that, we go, well, we face some doubt and discouragement because we've been waiting. There's been a waiting period, so it's led us to discouragement or disagreements or, or doubts about what God is going to do. Here's the thing. This happened in the early church. We often romanticize the early church and think that they were perfect and had it all together. They had it all together for about, I don't know, a couple hours. It don't take long for mankind to mess things up and, and we... They started too quickly. And here's what happened. In the waiting for Christ to call His bride out of here and for the resurrection of the dead in Christ, clearly there's enough time where some Christians had started dying. Now we know this. There was persecution already. How about this? There was still sickness and death, accidents. There were still people who passed away now. But now they've died as not Old Testament saints, but being Christians. Old, Old Testament We'll get into that another day. But the Christians here, they start... Start dying. And now the other Christians are going, well, what's going to happen to them when Christ comes? What's going to happen? Are they going to lose their reward? Are they going to lose their glory? Are they going to be resurrected? All these things. Now the resurrection, a future resurrection, has been promised to us, I believe, as we've studied through Genesis from the very beginning. The beginning is the, the preaching that there is an ending, that there is going to be a return to not just what it was, but what it should be, right? Now, with this as well, we find it with the life of Enoch and all throughout these things. We find uh, th these pictures and illustrations that point us to the coming of the Lord, the calling away of His people. You know, we think about in the Old Testament other points and times where this uh, points to it, the prophecies and all these things. Now, this is important. In Jesus' day, there was two groups, the major groups that is. You had the Pharisees and the, the Sadducees. Now, the Pharisees believed that there was a coming bodily resurrection of those who were dead. Now, even those who were not Pharisees believed in it. Think about this. Remember when Jesus showed up to raise Lazarus from the dead? He'd been dead four days. He was getting ready to... Well, he was starting to stink. They just hadn't opened up that grave for, for him to start smelling, right? Now, here's what happened. He talks to both sisters on his way in before he does the, the raising of Lazarus. And, and what did each one of the sisters say? Well, Lord, I know he'll be raised up on the last day. What is that? That's the doctrine of a future resurrection, the end times. But the Sadducees of the day, they did not believe in a bodily resurrection. They did not believe in it. Now that's kind of sad. Now, you and I, we've got plenty of people in our life that have passed away. Now, even more so, we've got people in our life who have passed away and who knew the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Now, I love a funeral where the person has gone on to be with the Lord. They had trust in Jesus. Because the family, they'll be right here. They've got peace. They've got joy. They've got grief. Don't get me wrong there. But they grieve not as those who have no hope, not as those without Christ. They know exactly where their loved one is, to be absent from the body, to be present with the Lord. And as well, this passage is going to show us the confidence and assurance that that body that we put to rest in the ground is going to come up out of that grave faster than we can clap, snap, or blink an eye and meet the Lord in the air. What a day that would be. Now, here the early church expected it to be imminent. And here with these disagreements, he says, I don't want you to be ignorant concerning them which are asleep that you saw or not, even as others which have no hope. Who are those that have no hope? That's a lost world. This idea of hope is not just wishful thinking. It is a confidence, an assurance, a blessed assurance, as we have referred to eschatology so much, or specifically the coming of the Lord, that blessed hope. That is our blessed hope. Barclay writes, they were expecting it very soon. They fully expected that they would still be alive when it came, but they were worried about those Christians who had died. They could not be sure that those who had already died would share the glory of that day which, has, uh, which was to, to come so soon. Paul's answer is that there will be one glory both for those who have died and for those who survive. This passage deals with that. Here's what happens. Doctrinal confusion brings discouraging concerns. If you are, if you are uh, doctrinally confused about the end times, you're not going to have much hope for the future. Now, here's the thing. I don't have future hope in this world anyways. But if you are doctrinally confused, you're not going to have hope for the spiritual future. Now, you and I as Christians, if there should be anything, we should be a hopeful, a joyful, a confident people. Confidence is not pride because we're not putting our confidence in us. We're not putting our confidence in our nation. We're not putting our confidence in anything except what Christ has revealed to us in His Word. He said He's coming. Do we believe it? We should. Why? Because He said it. He said it. Now, it is important to be assured of our future in Christ and awaiting our future with Christ. Now this phrase, them which are asleep. Now this is interesting. This covers a couple of things and rebuts several false teachings today. <coughs> McDonald writes, sleep is, used, <coughs> excuse me, sleep is used to describe the bodies of departed Christians, never their spirits or souls. Sleep is an appropriate simile of death because in death a person seems to be sleeping. Even our word cemetery comes from a Greek word meaning sleeping place. And sleep is a familiar simile because every night we act out this symbol of death and every morning is like a resurrection. The Bible does not teach that the soul sleeps at the time of death. The rich man and Lazarus were both conscious in death. Luke chapter 16. When the believer dies, he is present with the Lord. 2 Corinthians 5.8 to, uh, to die is to be with Christ. A position which Paul speaks of as gain and as being far better. Philippians chapter 1. This would, be scarcely, this would be scarcely be true if the soul were sleeping. Neither does the Bible teach annihilation. There is no cessation of being in death. The believer enjoys eternal life. The unbeliever suffers eternal punishment. So this does a couple things. One, it shows us that those who are asleep, these are those who have passed away in Christ. Their body is at rest, but their soul, their spirit is with the Lord if they are saved. If they are not saved, 
They are facing right now just the beginning of their eternal suffering. This is why eternity matters. And today counts for eternity. This rebuts this idea of soul sleep. How many of you have ever heard the doctrine of that what some preach and teach that, that the soul just sleeps forever? None of you? Okay, well, good. There, there's false teachers and false denominations out there that claim that the soul just goes to sleep and that's it. I want you to know you are not going to take an eternal nap. You can take you a couple hour nap this afternoon, right? Come back to church tonight, right? But you're not going to sleep forever. That's not heaven. It might be heaven on earth if you're tired. Ain't nothing good like ain't nothing gooder than a nap, right? But think about this. Your soul's not going to sleep. Absent, present. We're going to be fully aware of heaven. Do you realize that? You are going to be fully aware of your eternal destination when you are there. This means the soul in heaven is fully aware of the presence and the glory and the beauty of Christ. I can't fathom what that looks like. However, it also means the opposite. That those who are without Christ will be fully aware of eternal damnation and hellfire. We must preach the gospel. Time is coming and ticking quick. Furthermore, this also shows and preaches against what some call annihilation. This means that there is just... If you die without Christ, you get annihilated and that's it. No, my friend. We're told that the worm dieth not. You will feel everything forever and forever. There is no escaping. Just as assured as heaven is forever, so is hell. As a matter of fact, hell is not even described as being forever. It gets thrown into a lake of fire which shall be forever and forever. That's rough, isn't it? Now here, what time is it? It's 10-11, okay. Here lastly, the Thessalonian church had evidently had members pass away and they had grown concerned with what this would mean when Christ returned. Here's the beauty today, church. You and I don't have to play a guessing game. We have the specifics of the doctrine right here. Those who have died in the Lord, they are right now with the Lord, and one day their bodies shall be resurrected, glorified, and meet their soul and spirit in the air. And you and I, which are alive and remain, shall be raised and snatched up, called out of here before that great and terrible day of tribulation. You and I, therefore, are not to grieve like those who have no hope. Grief and sorrow are most natural to the human and to the Christian experience. However, Paul urges the Thessalonians not to grieve as the Gentile unbelievers around them who had no hope for eternity. Green writes, As the Christians in Thessalonica face the death of those whom they loved, they are called not to grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. Their grief should be tempered and informed by the hope they held based on the resurrection of Christ and the promise of His coming. The apostles preached hope in a world where even hope seemed to have flown out of the jar. Today, is there much hope in the world? No, not a bit. But there is hope for those who know the Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, you and I must get back to holding on to that blessed hope, that blessed assurance, because one, it encourages us in our time of grief and despair. It gives us hope and a comfort to live in the world of which we live now. And as well, it gives us an unction to preach the gospel because there is coming a day of judgment and you and I Though we are ready, there is a lost and dying world that is ill-prepared to meet the Lord. I know one thing. Today, I'm looking forward to that. Are you? 
We must long and look forward to that blessed day. But we must as well begin to pray for those who do not have that hope. And you and I as well must proclaim the gospel everywhere we go because there are those who will be lost and undone forever and forever without ever hearing of that blessed hope. Christ is coming. Let this be the motivation of our very life. He's coming. It is a convicting thought, is it not? But there's also nothing more comforting to the believer. May we hold on to both of those thoughts today. Let us pray. Lord, we love You. We thank You for this time. Lord, we thank You for, for this wonderful doctrine that You've given to us. God, I pray that You would allow us just to have it sink down to our hearts, that we would receive it by faith. God, that we would uh, be motivated to proclaim the Gospel, that we would be motivated to live our lives for You, knowing that, that, that we could be called out of here any moment. Lord, help us today, God, to, to praise You and to sing as if we could see You face to face at any moment, God, to, to praise You and Your presence in this place this morning. And uh, Lord, just to think about what a day that will be that we will be in Your presence to sing and to praise You forever and forever. Lord, I pray that You prepare our hearts now, God. Give us strength, give us encouragement, give us conviction. Lord, give us Your Holy Spirit to apply Your Word to our hearts today. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, y'all, we got to take a pause for the conference.